Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host, Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, Eric, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I, of course, fell asleep early during mine, which I blame on the uh, tryptophan in the tofurkey, which I'm sure is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but apart from that, no complaints at all. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, well, uh, my Thanksgiving was fine. Um, and, uh, you know, now that I've gone uh, pescatarian, uh, I too would theoretically be eating tofurkey. But uh, we actually uh, we had salmon for the uh, for the pescatarians at the table this year. The turkey was always my least favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal yeah. anyway. Uh, this is not exactly a hot take. This is basically a common take that the sides are better than the, the meats at Thanksgiving. By the way, I think I naturally produce my own tryptophan. That's uh, that's maybe the best explanation for my condition. Um, so yeah, but the the, the Thanksgiving was lovely. Uh, the morning after Thanksgiving, however, had its flaws. Um, I'm I'm gonna do a little grumpy old man corner real quick. Oh, if you excellent. Don't mind. Yeah. Um, so uh, the whole family went to the movies. Uh, nice uh, bright and early 9:55 a.m. show on Friday of uh, Knives Out. Uh, the new oh, okay. the new murder I'm mystery in. movie. I don't know if you've heard uh, seen any commercials. I, I have. I like the movie, but the notion of a 9:55 a.m. showing is makes me note to myself never stay over at Eric's place. <laughs> oh, that's but the anyway. best time for a movie for for me. It's the about the only time I can stay awake for a movie. So you so you saw the movie as well then. I haven't. No, I'm looking forward oh, oh. to it. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I, I highly recommend it. It's very good. So uh, anyway, a 9:55 movie, ten minutes of commercials, not previews yet. Just commercials. Uh, they, they didn't used to show commercials during movies. Uh, you're, you're, you're paying a pretty penny to watch something without commercials. That's the whole idea behind charging you to watch something. They aren't supposed to need to sell commercial time. So there's that. Uh, and then after 10 minutes of commercials, we got 20 minutes of previews. Uh, now, I love trailers as much as the next guy, but three or four of them. Not seven or eight. It was ridiculous. A, a 9.55 movie started at 10.25. It was so delayed, I was starting to wonder if the DAZN executives were working the projector and there was some <laughs> MMA fight they didn't want to go up against. Uh, but seriously, I, I have things to do. You can't just add 25% to the length of the movie experience. Uh, so thanks, Obama. <laughs> yeah, well done. That was very Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> yes. Except that it was except that it was coherent. There was a there was a through line through the whole thing. Right. I didn't wander off to tell you what uh, vegetable was hanging from my belt. <laughs> right, right, right. Because we couldn't afford the fancy white onions. <laughs> it was the fashion in the day. Right. Anyway, yes. Well, don't worry. We're not going to delay any more getting this week's podcast underway. Uh, we have a preview of this Saturday's upcoming Showtime Championship Boxing triple header headlined by Jamal Charlo defending a middleweight strap against Dennis Hogan. Uh, But first, a quick look at what is literally the biggest event on the boxing calendar right now as this Saturday on DAZN, Anthony Joshua looks for revenge against Andy Ruiz in a rematch of the upset of the year. Uh, This one taking place in Saudi Arabia in a purpose-built stadium constructed over a matter of just weeks uh, with plenty of blood, sweat, and tears, I'm sure. That would be the blood of journalists, the sweat of human rights advocates, and the tears of Yemeni orphans, (laughs) if you are wondering. And that's the last we'll say about that. I think everybody's fully aware of where we stand in all of this by now. But anyway, so at this point, what matters is what happens in the ring. Um... And it's interesting, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and it sort of feels to me that for the first time in a number of years, really, uh, maybe ever in his pro career, um, I think it feels to me like AJ's going to be entering the ring as quite an underdog here. Um, 
which made me think, well, you're the uh, you're the odds making fellow. Uh, is that in fact true? Am I imagining that, or is he officially the underdog, AJ? And if he is, should he be? Well, I agree with you that it feels to an extent like AJ should be the dog, but uh, no, officially he is not, uh, and it's not even close. Uh, the the prices vary a bit from sportsbook to sportsbook, but before the rematch was even signed. Ruiz opened as about a plus 225 underdog. Uh, Joshua opened as almost a one to three favorite. You'd have to lay about $300 to win a hundred. Then Ruiz went as high as plus 250. That was the highest that I saw before in the past week or so. He started to come down. He's closer to two to one now, uh, as I guess some Ruiz money has been coming in. But it's a little surprising that the odds were and are so wide that that the guy who scored the definitive knockout is a clear right. underdog against his knockout E. Uh, but remember that a bookmaker's job isn't to predict the outcome. It's to right. set prices that will get close to even action on both sides. That was the explanation for those ridiculous odds in the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Uh, bookmakers right. expected that MMA fans would bet McGregor at 3-1 to one or 4-1 to one when boxing fans knew he was realistically like 25-1 to one or 50-1, to one, uh, making Mayweather one of the best investments in, in boxing betting history. Uh, so uh, I have to assume that bookmakers have their finger on the pulse of the fans, uh, you know, casuals right. and perhaps even some hardcores who can't accept that the tubby guy might just be better at boxing than the six foot six inch (laughs) bodybuilder. Um, There are people who are certain it was a fluke the first time who buy any and all AJ excuses. And there are enough of them that the sports books have made Joshua the clear favorite. Uh, You know, it made me think back. Tyson was still about a two to one or three to one favorite in the Holyfield rematch. Um, I mean, rematches to upsets are fascinating. Uh, People, we're asking the same question or, or same two questions before Holyfield Tyson 2 that they're asking about this fight. Whenever there's a rematch to a major upset, you ask, is the fighter who sprang the upset for real and can he do it again? And what can the boxer who was upset do to gain revenge? What, what do you see as the answers to both those questions as far as this fight is concerned? Well, for the first part, which I guess is in itself a two-parter, um, uh, yes and yes. Uh, uh, Ruiz is definitely for real. Uh, and he absolutely can do this again. I, I, when we previewed the first fight, I was a bit dismissive of Ruiz's chances. Um, but not because of his ability. Uh, I think folks within, in boxing have known for some time that his body shape rather disguised his natural talent and his right. skills. Um, and that in particular, the one thing that everyone would, would say was that Ruiz possesses fast hands. And that is something that I mentioned in that preview. So um, we know that he's legitimate. Can he do it again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the reason that when we talked about it the first time, I was a bit overly dismissive of his chances was mostly because I felt the height differential would prevent Ruiz from being able to get in and take advantage of those fast hands. Um, even though we've seen before that people who can throw good, good rapid fire combinations uh, can hit and hurt Joshua. Um, but Ruiz, what he showed, I think, in that first fight is that he's able to step in from distance with a fast lead hand, like he can close that gap really rapidly. Like there were times where they'd be sort of pausing, looking at each other from outside. Ruiz would see an opening would, and would have that gap closed before Joshua could, could react. And then once he was in, in distance, he'd be, he'd be letting go a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth punch. Um, and given that Joshua's shown himself, not just against Ruiz, but against others to be vulnerable to, to, to somebody who can do that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. He can do this again. Um, how does Joshua prevent him from doing so? I, I think to get back to what I said before the first fight, he's got to use that height of his. He, um, 
yeah, he did land a very nice uppercut on the inside to drop Ruiz in the third round in the first fight. But then, you know, he was so determined to finish, he stayed in the pocket too long. And he allowed Ruiz to crack him with the hook that started the damage. And he never really recovered from that. Um, Joshua shouldn't be trading on the inside with Ruiz. He just, that's yeah. just not, he has no advantages there. His hands aren't fast enough. He's, what he needs to do is sort of stay at range and pop that jab. And not even just occasionally, but constantly. Thud, thud, thud. And it doesn't even matter if it's going against Ruiz's gloves because that's just keeping Ruiz occupied. Um, you know, if, if he's throwing it, he's keeping him far enough away that he has hopefully he has time to step out or around if Ruiz does come at him. Um, you know, honestly, he almost needs to take a page from his own victim here, Vladimir Klitschko, a little bit. You mm -hmm. know, after... After Klitschko lost to Lehman Brewster, as we all know, he had enough of this whole being fun nonsense, and he embraced boring and safe, and boxing fans didn't love him for it, but it enabled him to have a long reign, and I'm not saying that AJ needs to do that for the rest of his career, but he should do it for this fight. Um, if there's a right hand that's there for him, great, but otherwise, jab, jab, tie him up if he can, step out of the way if he can. Like he could, as they always say, you can always look good. The next time, uh, this time he just needs to do what he has to do to get a win. And I think he, that probably involves making it a bit boring, actually. Um, so I know we don't make official fight, official picks for non-showtime fights, but we have taken the plunge a couple of times unofficially lately. Uh, this, I think, is one of those that's big enough for us to do it again. Um, so we sort of know what each guy can do or should do. What do you think they will do? How do you think this is going to unfold? Who is going to have his hand raised at the end of the night? So I know what I saw with my eyes in June. I saw the more fluid, natural boxer and the gifted counterpuncher tormenting the big muscle-bound guy who tires easily and who thinks a lot before he punches, yeah. who hasn't been fighting all his life and doesn't do it yeah. on instinct. That said, Joshua is a big puncher, and he did drop Ruiz hard in round three the first time. I think you said an uppercut, and it was an uppercut that... Uh, landed first, but then it was the left hook, I, I believe, right. that put him down. But it was really that combination. Um, so, you know, we know that he can hurt and drop Ruiz. And the trouble for AJ did start with a left hook to the ear, which mm. might not be a repeatable result for Ruiz. Um, like, I don't think the result of the fight was fluky, but the punch that started it, yeah, I guess that was a little fluky, the way where it landed and the effect that it had. It's not at all crazy to think Joshua fights better this time, doesn't get into trouble trading punches, and either lands something big again and, and this time takes advantage, uh, you know, and, and knocks Ruiz out, or that he basically, like you said, pulls a, a Vladimir Klitschko or, or Lennox Lewis. Lennox used to do this a lot uh, against certain styles, like the David Tua fight really comes to mind, where he just boxes tall and wins a decision. But that's not the outcome I'm predicting. Um, I was <laughs> thrilled to bet Ruiz at more than two to one because I think he's the favorite in the fight with or without odds. Uh, I don't know if Joshua is mentally recovered from getting knocked out, but even yeah. if he is, Ruiz just might be too quick and skilled for him. Um, I like Ruiz to stop Joshua again. I'll say eight rounds this time instead of seven. How about you? Even when we're making unofficial picks. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, look, it, it's, it's, yeah, for me, it, it isn't It isn't just that Ruiz beat Joshua the last time out. It's that he beat him with the kind of skills and tools which we already knew that Joshua was vulnerable. So, um, because we'd, we'd seen it before. We'd seen his legs do a slight dance before against, against these kind of fast, fast-handed guys. It was just that I doubted whether he Ruiz would be able to land those weapons and he's shown that he can and I'm not entirely sure how Joshua will end up stopping him um 
You know, I, I think, you know, I just talked about how he needs to constantly throw his jab, and so he does. But I think the bit of a problem with that is a heavyweight who's going to do that needs to at least have fairly decent footwork to be able to, like, not just stand there and throw the jab, but be moving around the ring and controlling the ring and throwing the jab. And AJ's footwork is not his strongest point. Um, you know, so I, I, I can maybe see it working well early on. I can see it maybe being a bit cautious. Both guys respect each other. There's no question about that. But I kind of wonder if after a while... If that's what AJ is doing, that Ruiz is ultimately, after a while, going to be able to start slipping and throwing some angles and then starting to launch those combinations. And, you, you know, you mentioned about AJ's mental state. I don't know how well he'll react once Ruiz does start landing. And at some point, he is going to start landing. Um, and and and, I, and then it just might start coming apart a little bit. Um I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a situation where AJ wins a couple of rounds. Ruiz sort of manages to get in there, explodes a little bit, maybe knocks him down. Ruiz, uh, Joshua settles down, wins another couple of rounds. Ruiz kind of does that thing where, again, he explodes out of nowhere. But after that's happened a couple of times, I think the wheels will sort of start to fall off. Uh, I've given AJ a little bit more credit than you. And I think that Ruiz will get him out of there around round nine is what I've predicted. <laughs> Massive difference. Massive <laughs> But the controversy yeah. is incredible. <laughs> and yeah, I think you're you're right to point out that, you know, well, how's Joshua going to react when he starts getting hit with those punches again in combination with, I feel like stamina problems are a real issue for, for Joshua. And so how's he going to react when, you know, it hits the middle rounds and boy, my legs are starting to feel a little heavy in here. And it just, is he just going to tense up that much more and, and panic that much more? But all, all that said, you know, and I referenced uh, Tyson and Holyfield as a case where they still viewed the guy who won the first time as an underdog and he proved he shouldn't have been. Um, then there's a case like uh, like Lennox Lewis and Hasim Rahman where I mm. thought that Rahman was in Lennox's head and mm. had an excellent shot at, at repeating it uh, in the rematch, and he, and he didn't come close, and Lewis came in and destroyed him uh, just with the superior talent that he had. So if Anthony Joshua is that guy who really has that elite ability and is mentally recovered, a, a blowout win in, in his direction is certainly possible with the, the talent that he has. Of course, in hindsight, Lennox was probably had all kinds of ways to relax and get things out of his head if you know what i'm saying i don't know i don't know if aj's that way that way inclined yeah doesn't the nevada commission might have uh, might have tested for those ways i don't know i don't know <laughs> All right, well, there are a couple of other heavyweight fights uh, on this card. Uh, in one, uh, Alexander Povetkin takes on Michael Hunter, and then another one was just announced. Dillian White faces off against Marius Vak. Uh, I can't say the latter excites me much, but Povetkin-Hunter, that's a really intriguing matchup of skilled, non-giant heavyweights. Kieran, any thoughts on either or both of these undercard bouts? Yeah, the thing with Povetkin, I remember we talked about, can we use similar words to describe Povetkin against Huey Fury? Like, oh, this is intriguing. This will be interesting. And it was Drek. Um and so often Povetkin fights our Drek. And and that's sort of like I find myself, oh okay, yeah, theoretically this is interesting. And it is, it's a pretty good matchup actually, and it's quite intriguing, but I just wonder how it's actually going to turn out in practice. Uh the only time I've seen Michael Hunter from ringside was in his loss to Alexander Uzik at, at Cruiserweight. And he looked decent but but overmatched. Uh, and he might prove decent and overmatched in this one. Um but I, I kind of also wondered, like, he, he's a pretty agile guy. He's a fast, fast enough guy. Maybe he's going to have enough movement and angles to, to eke out a decision against Povetkin. But, again, I have a suspicion that this is a fight that's going to be better in th in theory than in practice. Um, as for White, Vark, look, I like Dillian White. I, I do. Um, but I'm, I'm confused as to how this fight is happening. I'm confused as to what... Have, have there, I mean, what the hell happened since his, he, you know, he failed that drug test prior to his bout with Oscar Rivas. Mm -hmm. 
went ahead and had the fight with Oscar Rivas. Has anything else happened? I mean, apart from one alphabet body taking his temporary platinum belt away or whatever the heck he had with them. Has he had any, has there been another test? Was there a B test? Did he pass the B test? Did he not pass the B test? I don't even know what's going on here. It's just, it's just seems to be a case of if we just carry on as if nothing's happened, everyone will forget about it, which is probably true. <laughs> right. Um, but so I don't know. Uh, but anyway, White knocks out Buck late in the fight. I think I'm, I'm not, I'm not super impressed. We've seen Marius Vach against, uh, <laughs> Drell Miller and boy, whereas Vag apparently doesn't care about whether his opponents have failed drug tests or not. Um, but and, and I think I think Vak has a failed uh, drug test in his in his past as well. And there's Povetkin oh. on the card, so uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia might be the right place to take all these guys. <laughs> Seriously. So yeah, uh, so I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know how this is able to happen, but Dylan White wins that fight. All right. Uh, also this Saturday, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, Showtime Championship Boxing returns with a triple header from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Uh, in the opener, 122-pounders Marlon Tapales from the Philippines and Ryosuke uh, Iwasa from Japan meet. Uh, the co-main sees middleweight action as Britain's Chris Eubank Jr. makes his U.S. debut against Matt Koroboff. And in the main event, Jamal Charlo faces off against Irish-born and Australia-based Dennis Hogan. Uh, we'll look at the two supporting bouts shortly, uh, but first, the main event. Uh, first thing to note, uh, it is being billed, uh, not by Showtime, I'm pleased to say, but by the promoters, as a defense of an alphabet body middleweight belt. Um, but even by alphabet body standards, this is ridiculous. Uh, the middleweight champion is Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez also holds, or held, the belt of this particular organization until it decided to designate him franchise champion, which is their new toy, this particular outfit. Um, an entirely new chapter of nonsense, which, well, what do you know, frees up a belt for someone else to take and pay, pay sanctioning fees for. And that happens to be Jamal Charlo. Um, so, yeah, I know you have written and said many things about sanctioning bodies, but I'm sure you're happy for me to just continue on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, you said sanctioning bodies and I tuned out. Are you done? Yeah, uh, should, probably, I, should I tune yes. back in? Probably, yes, tune back in right now. Okay, all right. Um, uh, because it's actually a shame that Charlo should take delivery of a title belt in, in such a trash way, because he's a legitimately very, very good fighter. Uh, and he deserves the opportunity to gain a world chat title and be called a world champion the old-fashioned way, by beating people in the ring. Um, and, you know, now I was thinking about this, I kind of suspect he might be favored to do so against pretty much any opponent currently playing his trade in the middleweight division. You know, which makes me wonder... You know, with the prospects of both Canelo, we might not see Canelo at 160 again, even though he is the middleweight champion. We don't know, right? But he's just been up to 175. Maybe he'll fight at 168. We've been speculating about him fighting Callum Smith. Who knows? Uh, Daniel Jacobs, theoretically, is uh, fighting at 168 uh, soon. Um, Gennady Golovkin seems to be on the downslide. With all of those things, is there actually the possibility that we will be watching the best current middleweight in the world on Saturday night, a fake title or no fake title. Yeah, well, look, if Canelo is still a middleweight, then he's number one in the sure, division. Sure, sure. He's the lineal champ, yeah. Uh, but if he's gone, uh, there are cases to be made for the guys you mentioned, uh, Jacobs, Triple G, uh, plus Charlo, Derevianchenko, and Andrade. Um, Jacobs seems to be done at 160, uh, so I, I can kind of cross him off of this discussion. Golovkin is not washed, but he's certainly passed no. his best. Um, if Golovkin, Drevyanchenko, Charlo, and Andrade fought a big round robin, 
they might all end up with at least one win and at least one loss on their <laughs> record. Um, so yeah, th- there's a chance Charlo is the best, but we haven't seen him prove it yet. We've certainly seen him plenty. This is his 10th appearance on Showtime, um, but we haven't seen him against anyone quite as good as all those other top middleweights that, that we just named. So it's a leap of faith to say he's the best in the division. But the talent is clear. Um, you know, d- despite going the distance in his last two fights, he is a big puncher. He throws that sick uppercut that felled Julian Williams. Uh, Jamal Charlo is a tremendous fighter. He's in the conversation for possible best fighter at 160 pounds. I- I'm willing to go that far. There you go. Um, his opponent, Dennis Hogan, is not in that conversation, but he's a much bigger part of the overall boxing conversation than he was eight months ago. Uh, in April, Hogan came out on the wrong end of a majority decision against Jaime Munguia, which more than a few observers felt he deserved to win. And Hogan went from a nobody to a somebody overnight. Uh, it must be noted that that bout was at 154 pounds, so Hogan is moving up here. And with just seven stoppage wins in 31 bouts and with an approximately five and a half inch reach disadvantage against Charlo, I think the first question here, Kieran, is will he have the size and strength to gain Charlo's respect? Yeah, I think that's going to be very difficult for him. Um, It should be noted that uh, even though he's coming up from 154, Hogan has been as high as light heavyweight. He actually turned pro at light heavyweight. uh, and at middleweight, he won an Australian title. Um, so it's, the weight isn't entirely alien to him. But the the key aspect, I think, is, as you noted, like well, whatever weight he's fighting, he's not renowned for his punching power. And and even if he is used to fighting at certain weights or up against certain weights, he's at that, that size disadvantage and that reach disadvantage. And that's just going to be a fundamental practical issue. Uh, that's also not new to him. Uh, two of his last three opponents, including Munguia, were six foot tall, which is what Charlo is. Um, but neither of them had the just, you know, you mentioned about how skilled Charlo is, and he is. He's got that all-round ability. He's got that punching power. He has that, you know, confidence. Uh, Charlo's a better boxer than Dennis Hogan. He's a better brawler, I suspect, than Dennis Hogan. Um, and he's taller, and he's longer. Hogan's up against it here. There's no question about it. Although I, I do wonder uh, how much uh, the name Dennis Hogan hurts him. He just sounds like it, it, I realize Hogan has a different sort of uh, application in the wrestling world in general that we associate it with a certain uh, high achieving pro wrestler. But it kind of sounds like a wrestling jobber. Otherwise, Dennis Hogan, he's the, he's the guy who shows up on Saturday morning and gets squashed in two minutes. So uh, I, I feel like that's really hurting him here. Right. Or he, or he could be, you know, given that he's now in Australia, he could be the brother the less ah. successful brother of an actor in the straight-to-video movie Crocodile Glasgow or something, as opposed to Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, I haven't, so, haven't caught that one, but I'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah, yeah it, it went straight to DVD. I just, I think only Blockbuster had it, and I, there's only one Blockbuster left in the country. So Yeah, well, you know. but if it's DVD, not a theater, that means I can watch it without wasting half hour waiting for it to start. So I'm in. <laughs> There is that. All right. So uh, Dennis Hogan is moving up in weight from his last fight. Uh, in the co-main, Chris Eubank Jr. is moving down from super middle to middle uh, to take on Matt Korobov. Uh, Eubank coming off arguably the biggest and best win of his career, dominant victory over James DeGale on Showtime in February. Korobov, meanwhile, is 0-1-1 in his last two. But his supporters, at least, would surely argue that he should, you know, certainly could, have been 2-0 and in those two fights. Uh, his most recent outing, a draw against Emmanuel Aleem was originally announced as a Korobov win and probably should have been. Um, you could maybe make the case 
maybe he deserved the decision against uh, Charlo in December. Certainly that one, whatever it was, 119-108 card was was ridiculous. Um, right. Eubank actually said on Showbox recently that he, for one, thought Korobov deserved the nod in that fight, um, which, of course, may just have been him talking up Korobov as an opponent. Um, but are these two men's recent records, which suggests, at least on paper, that Eubank is on an upswing and the nearly 37-year-old Korobov may be running out of road a little misleading? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, they are at very different stages in their careers, one being 30 years old and maybe still improving, the other at almost 37 and not with a ton of time left. Uh, but Korobov has looked good overall of late, especially against Jamal Charlo, where I don't think he deserved the win. It sounded from right. all the way you stretched out the word maybe like you don't <laughs> either. Um, but he did make it I very close. Tell. Yeah, <laughs> you do. Um, but, you know, just making it close is an accomplishment, uh, especially when you consider he took that fight on one week's notice. Um, this looks to me like a very competitive matchup. Hard to say who the favorite is, but we know who the A-side is, who the house fighter is, because there's talk of Charlo versus Eubank next if they both win. And, you know, that, that would be a pairing of two fairly young, charismatic guys. Uh, it's a fight that that would be very interesting, and that's one more thing for Korbov to overcome here. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see his hard luck in close fights continue. Yeah. Uh, rounding out the triple header, the broadcast opens with a 122-pound contest. Marlon Tapales, 33-2 and with 16 KOs, takes on... Ryosuke Iwasa, 26-3, and three, and also with 16 KOs. Uh, Kieran, these are unfamiliar names and faces to all but the most hardcore of fight fans in the U.S. What can you tell us about Iwasa and Tapales, and is there anything in their records that gives a hint as to how this matchup might go? So both of these guys have held alpha belt belts uh, and relatively recently. Tapales won a belt at 118 pounds in 2016, but he lost it on the scales in his first defense and promptly moved up. Uh, Iwasa won a belt... At 122 in 2017, uh, but he lost it in his second defense to TJ Doheny, who, of course, in turn was relieved of it by Danny Roman. Um, the winner of this fight seems set to meet the, meet the winner of the delayed Roman uh, Murajan Akhmadalia fight, should that happen early next year, as anticipated. Uh, is probably the most seasoned of the two. He's fought better opposition, uh, mentioned Doheny, um, but also uh, Shinsuke Yamanaka, very good Japanese fighter, and he faced him in his ninth fight. is um, pretty tall for his height, for his weight. Um, he's uh, very tall <laughs> he, he, for his height. Yeah, he's, he's just about the right amount just of tallness the, he's for his height. The perfect, yeah. the perfect height for his height. Um, <laughs> he, he is quite tall for his weight. Um, a five-seven, he'll have about a three-inch height advantage over Tapales. Um, and unsurprisingly, the thing to look for in terms of how this fight evolves is that, given that, you can expect Iwasa to be the one who's looking to box, and Tapales is simply going to try to brawl and impose himself on this fight. And that's going to be the key to this fight as to which guy can impose his style on the other. Yep. We will make our picks for the Showtime broadcast shortly. But before we do, we want to bring in this week's guest. Uh, we actually had him on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and he proved so popular with listeners that we're bringing him back again. Uh, he is the trainer of former Jamal Charlo opponent, Julian J. Rock Williams. He is Stephen Breadman Edwards. Uh, welcome back to the show, buddy. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, thanks Thanks for coming back on. Uh, the people like you, Stephen. They're hungry for more bread, man, uh, so we're giving it to them. Uh, we we want to ask you first about the December 7th Showtime main event. Uh, obviously, you are very familiar with Jamal Charlo. Uh, having been up against him, what would you say are his strengths and weaknesses, and, and what does Dennis Hogan have to look out for? Uh, his strength is he's a really, really physical fighter. Uh, he probably could probably play maybe like a free safety in football. If he, mm. you know, that's the route that he chose. He's a really, really physical guy. He's not just tall, but he's well proportioned. So he's like strong. He's hard to move off of his base. Mm. Uh, you know, um, you can, when, when you hit him, you don't really knock him out off of his balance, which mm. is his strength of his because he can hold his ground and he can, um, and he can counter punch. Uh, he has a really good jab. He has a uh, solid hand speed, and he has good uh, punch variety, and he has a mean streak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know his uh, his flaws are he's really really easy to counter punch and easy to hit. I, I I don't know why. I don't know if it's because he's in love with his offense or what. But um, as you see in most of his fights where he doesn't get an early knockout, he takes a lot of punches. Uh, I, I don't know why that is. Uh, against Karabarov, he was getting hit with counter left hands constantly. Against Trouty was. Um, Julian was able to land the one-two on him repetitively. Uh, he's 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 a big target, so uh, he's not a hard fighter to hit, but he is a hard fighter to discourage. Right. Um, so uh, you know he's a he's a really good fighter. Uh, he's one of the best fighters in the world. Mm. Assuming he wins on Saturday, and assuming you guys win your fight that's now been officially announced in January. Um, would you prefer to angle for a rematch with Jamal at some point, or would you rather stay at 154 and say target brother Jamal instead? And if you w- were to say fight, and I know this is super hypothetical and you've got a fight to get out of the way, but if you were to say stay at 154 and fight Jamal, I'm curious what kind of different challenges that Jamal poses composed to Jamal. Um. We, I mean, I can't really say that until we get in the ring with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, and I think J- Jamal is a little ahead of Jamel as far as, like, where they at in their careers. Uh, but, you know, the career's not over with. You know, anything can happen. You know, uh, evaluations and assessments of fighters, it goes up and down with every fight. You know, they're right. still building their legacy. So it's really hard to say. From what I can see, though, Jamel is slightly ahead of them. Uh, actually... Uh, we're already slated to fight the winner of Jamel and Tony Harrison okay. uh, if we get past this fight. Uh, so, you know, you can only fight one person at a time. Obviously, we would like the rematch. That's Julian's only loss. But, uh, you know, we got to take care of our business here at 54, and then it's a possibility. But we've already signed to fight the winner in the unification match of Jamel and Tony uh, in, this, in, in June. So, we, oh, okay. you know, we just... We have to get past this fight first, and then, um, you know, hopefully we can get the winner of that, and then we can talk about the 160 thing. Okay, so that's actually all signed, you said, and, and agreed with in principle, all, at least. It's all done. It's okay. done. Mm-hmm. It, it was supposed to be heard, right. and then the winner, but her didn't fight the rematch. So now it's going to be uh, our, our opponent, Jason Rosario, and then the winner of Tony and Jamel, and then, uh, you know, we'll figure out the uh, if we'll stay at 54 or move up or whatever. Okay. Hmm. I, I hadn't heard that before, so, uh, you know, intrepid reporters that Kieran and I are, we just stumbled into maybe breaking some news. How do you like that? Yep, yep. <laughs> it's, it's, 
maybe so, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a done deal. Paperwork has been signed. We're ready to rock and roll. Cool. Um, shifting to the other major fight card this coming weekend, I'm very curious for your take on the, the Andy Ruiz-Anthony Joshua rematch. Uh, as J-Rock's trainer, you've dealt with the process of recovering after losing your unbeaten record via knockout. Do you think it's a good idea in general, and for Joshua specifically, to leap straight into a rematch with the guy who just knocked you out? Um, I think that Joshua really doesn't have a choice for the kind of money that he's commanding and for how big of a favor he was in the fight. So, you know, everybody is a little bit different. Julian lost as a contender, so we could take our time a little bit. Joshua was the uh, unified champion of the world, you know, and he wasn't supposed to lose that fight. So at, at this point, he, 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 he almost has to take that. You know, if he doesn't fight him again, people are looking at him like, whoa, you know, so $85 million, guys, I mean, come on, you got to take that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, this is, this is a business, and nobody's going to pass up that kind of money. Uh, so um, I don't know him personally. Seems like a really, really level-headed guy. He seems like he's really intelligent. You know, uh, dealing with the loss, you know, you, from my experience, you can't let other people's opinion of you affect your opinion of yourself mm. because social media and even boxing media, they're cruel. They, they, they jump the gun on, uh, can, you know, where, where you are as a fighter and, uh, you, you can't let their opinions affect your, of you or yourself. You have to have high self-esteem. You have to believe in yourself. Uh, and, and sometimes, man, sometimes it's just not your night. You know, sometimes people go, you know, a little bit overboard as far as like coming up with different excuses on why a fighter won or lost a fight. But sometimes it's just simply not your night. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the other guy just had the best night of his life. And sometimes it just wasn't meant for you to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, meant for you to win the fight. It's not always the X's and O's and things like that. Sometimes things just happen. If you stay around the gym long enough, you'll see sometimes the known fighter or have a good day. And sometimes the sparring partners will have a good day on him. It can happen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Everybody's not going to be lights out every night. And I'm not saying that's the case. You know, actually, I think Andy Ruiz did some really good technical stuff. That wasn't a lucky punch. Yeah. But you got to compartmentalize it, and you got to uh, you got to be strong-minded, and you have to believe in yourself. You got to understand that you know that you know one loss or one bad day doesn't define you. It's ridiculous that people think that. And, you know, Julian is going to be the poster boy of this era of a guy who took a, a loss. You, people wanted them to, like, kill himself after he lost the fight. I'm like, it's just a fight. You know what right. I mean? And I'm a positive person. I looked at the loss and said, man, at least I know he got hard because a lot of dudes wouldn't have jumped up from that uppercut. That was a big shot. Mm. You know, he got up. He was ready to fight. He didn't lose 12 straight rounds. He was he was in the fight. He was it, it was... It was an even fight on the scorecards. I thought he was winning the rounds, you know, so it wasn't like we got dominated or outclassed or it looked like he didn't belong at the level. It's just the way you look at it. You know, uh, guys have come back. you got to be special to come back from it, but it's not impossible. You know, Terry Norris for Simon Brown after he stopped him. Yep. Uh, right. Lennox Lewis did it twice. You know, it can happen. You know, now rather than Anthony Joshua can do it, we don't know. But it can definitely happen, and it's not the, you know, uh, it's not the end all. 
you know, got fighters can do it. I, I say Marco Antonio Barrera do it with Junior Jones. He didn't win the rematch, but he accounted himself well in the right. rematch. It, it's it's not the end of the world, you know. This is just the era that we're living that we live in. It, it makes it much more difficult, in my opinion, than what it really is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Joshua can pull it off if he fights the right fight. I think Joshua um, has to learn the difference between fighting tall and fighting long. People say fight tall, but when you fight tall, you make yourself a bigger target. If he fights long, it makes it takes Andy a longer time and from a further distance to get to him. Hmm. And Joshua stays tall, and Andy loops shots over, and he allows Andy to get too close to him because he's tall and he's just a big target. And Andy just can come in and loop his hooks and loop his, loop his overhand rights. You know, I shouldn't even probably be saying this because the game is to be sold, not to be told. And this, that's something that his trainers have to uh, make the adjustment with. But he stands up too high. And, and, and it's killing him when he fight. When he got caught with that left hook, he was, he's up too high against Andy. And that's, the, that's, the, that's a technical thing. But from a mental standpoint, it just depends on what kind of guy he is. You know, yeah. some some fighters have that cornerback mentality in football. Like, shit, okay, I got burnt, no big deal. Let's go play the next play. Right. Like Tom, like Tommy Hearns, he was a gunslinger. Mm-hmm. He clipped Tommy Hearns. It's like, all right, Manny Pacquiao, he's a gunslinger. He got clipped by Marquez as an older fighter in his mid thirties, and he's still relevant right now in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But everybody is not like that. You know what I mean? It depends on the kind of guy you are. Uh, at a lower level. That kid, um, they just fought Robert Easter. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, right, the Granados. one, the, the, Granados. I was just gonna say, yep, Granados. That kid's a gunslinger. He not gets knocked out by Danny Garcia. He fights everybody under the sun. He got in there and he gave Robert Easter hell. Yeah. You know, you got it's, it's just, it has to be your mentality. Uh, Andy can't go. In, I mean, I'm sorry, Anthony Joshua can't go in there overthinking. He can't go in there feeling bad for himself, and he can't go in there listening to what other people have to say. He got to go in there and be a fighter. You know who else seems to be a gunslinger? Erickson Lubin. Yeah. That kid got clipped in the first round of his fight. He's fine. Yeah. He's like, yeah. all right, okay, I got clipped. Let's go. He might mm-hmm. beat Jamel if they fight again. You yeah. can't let all of this stuff, you know, people say anything on social media. Hopefully Andy, uh, Anthony Joshua is strong enough to overcome it. But trust me, it's not impossible. They, they they make it seem like it's impossible. But 30, 40 years ago, guys came back from knockout losses all the time. Yeah. Right. Roberto Duran got almost decapitated by Tommy Hearns. <laughs> right. In 1984, he comes back and beats Iran Barkley in 1989, a guy that beat Hearns. Right. They make it into this, oh, my God, it's so... It's like, I'm like, all right, goddamn. They, he, he, and then the fighters start believing in that. And then the next thing you know, you got a guy whose career is ruined because he got clipped. It's yeah. boxing. Yeah. yeah. You know, the best fighter in the last 20, 25 years is Manny Pacquiao. He got clipped. All right. Like, I don't get it, man. But uh, if Anthony Joshua is not strong mentally, he's he going to let this eat him up. Right. Yeah. I had no doubt that Julian was fine after the fight. Julian came to my room after the fight and was like, man, I just got caught with that shot. I was fine. I just took my legs away a little bit. Get, you know, give me a couple fights. I'm going to get the title and I'm going to get him back. He was fine. But right. everybody made it seem like that his life was over or something. With Like, 
I heard that's what y'all say. Maybe maybe Jared Hurd thought his life was was over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe he thought that, but we didn't believe that. Yeah. So it looks like um, both Ruiz and Joshua have slimmed down a lot for the rematch, um, and and there's lots of talk about. You know, whether that's good or bad for either guy, like in terms of their ability to, you know, deliver or or, or resist, you know, punches. Uh, from a trainer's perspective, any particular thoughts on whether that's a good thing for either man? Uh, you know what? It's really interesting because I got mixed emotions about that, but I don't know their bodies. Mm. A lot of times you see a guy who has some fat on them. Fat, good fat is a good energy source. People don't realize that. You know, like if you got a lot of avocado and things like that in your diet, that's a good energy source. You don't want to have your body, uh, your your body index where your fat is too low. You know, because if it is, then you know you'll be burning in the muscle when you work out. I don't know Andy, so I can't really say. You know, but um, he has those loose, supple muscles, and he can really, really explode. Anthony Joshua, I definitely think that there's an issue with his physique. I've mm. always thought he was too overly muscled. Yeah. Mm. Anthony Joshua doesn't get a second win well. When he starts huffing and puffing, it's almost like he's going in panic mode. And I think his uh, muscles suck up too much. His muscles is just too much maintenance for his body. You know, but the way he slimmed down, I just don't, I don't know how he did it, you know, so I can't really say. You know, if I was training Joshua at this point, He's already strong, man. We would hit the heavy bag. We would swim. We would do a lot of stretching. We would just do boxing stuff. I would leave all that other stuff alone. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you got a guy, one of the reasons why he lost that fight wasn't just because um, Andy Ruiz hurt him. He couldn't get a second win. Yeah. You know, and he didn't really recover well because he couldn't get a second win. That was a lot. That was him being hurt, and it was fatigue. Against Vladimir Klitschko, he's lucky Klitschko's not a killer. Klitschko is a great fighter, but he's not a, he don't have a killer's mentality. So when he hurt Joshua, he didn't try to rip his head off. But Joshua took like three rounds to recover. Yep. You know what I mean? Nobody realized that he should have been stopped. Yep. If he would have been in there winning the – Klitschko is a, is a big-time puncher. Klitschko is not a great finisher. If Joshua would have been in there with a great finisher – He'd have been done. He takes way too long to recover. So maybe they didn't done some swimming and some aerobic and endurance activity to swim those muscles down because he's not a dumb guy. And he probably realizes that, man, it's taking me way too long to recover when I'm tired. Mm. And it's not, it's not a good thing. When I look at him, I'm like, whoa, I don't like that. Right. You know what I mean? That's, uh, it's, 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 that's, that's very troublesome to me you know, as a trainer and just as a fan of boxing when I see a guy take that long to recover. And I think that's attributed to those bulky muscles that he has. Right. Yeah, so many fascinating layers to this fight, both mentally and physically, in terms of what adjustments these guys are going to make and how strong they're going to be. So let's wrap up by talking about what bets you like, if any, on these fights. And we'll talk Ruiz-Joshua first. I couldn't believe the price on Ruiz when the fight first opened. He was between plus 225 and plus 250, and I made a couple of bets. Now it's finally coming down. I'm seeing Ruiz around plus 210, Joshua about minus 240. Uh, The over-under on rounds is seven and a half and uh while i don't expect this to be the outcome i was shocked to notice ruiz by decision is 15 to one uh is there anything that you like on this fight there's a lot of value in andy ruiz in this fight 
just mm-hmm. with their mental makeups. Andy Ruiz is a guy that won't overthink because he's just out there having fun. Yeah. And he's not out there trying to just, you know, think too hard or be too meticulous, you know, with his approach. He's just a really fun, happy-go-lucky guy. And, you know, somebody might take this the wrong way, but you don't want a fighter that's too smart, that thinks about every single thing. You know what yeah. I mean? You don't need that. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, a guy is out there, you have to be more instinctive, you know, and you got to be, you know, you got to be primal. You got to be a vicious guy. You don't want to be overthinking everything like, oh, my God, I got a concussion. Oh, my God, I might get knocked out. You just go in there and you just fight. And Andy Ruiz is the kind of guy that's just going to go in there and just fight. So there's a lot of value in Andy Ruiz in this fight. I mean, uh, like, I got to take a pop shot at him. You got to take a pop shot at <laughs> yeah. him. That yeah. wasn't luck that he won that fight. Right. You know what I mean? If you look at that fight really, really close, Anthony Joshua couldn't hold his ground. That's something that stands out to me. When you're that big, you had that much of a reach advantage, and you got that yep. much of a height advantage. Anthony Joshua was forced to take the outskirts of the ring. So he was moving around the whole outside of the ring where Andy Ruiz was just walking to him, landing yep. a really, really hard jab to his chest. And that really, like, disrupts your body, your biorhythms in your body. Uh, Manny Robles, his coach, deserves some credit. That was a really good place. He wasn't trying to overreach and jab him to his face. He was jabbing him right in his arm and right in his chest where his heart is at. Man, that's a tough place to get hit. It doesn't hurt, but it disrupts you. So, you know, that wasn't just some lucky thing that he did, man. He knew what he was doing. So there's a lot of value in Andy Ruiz, man, because you got a guy, for all we know, Anthony Joshua could be damaged. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to take a pop shot at Andy Ruiz, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's one of those things where if, if the fight was like even money, maybe I'd stay away. But uh, yeah, there, there's just there's a lot of value on Ruiz here. It's, it's too much value on him. And it's not even about like, I don't I have no idea who's going to win this fight. If you put a gun in my head, I would guess Ruiz can win the fight because I don't know if Joshua is going to realize that he's fighting too tall. Mm-hmm. Because in the UK, those guys stand up straight like that. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to realize that, but uh, I don't know who's going to win this fight. Joshua should win. I mean, he's the he just should win. It's too much of a size and athleticism advantage for him to lose to uh, Andy. But you never you never know about a fight. You know, better fighters than Joshua have lost to lesser fighters than Andy. Yep. You know what I mean? That's the way I equate it. I mean, Oliver McCall beat Lennox Lewis. Right. It, it sh- shit can happen, man. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, I, I think, uh, there's a lot of value in Andy. Yeah. Um, and then just hitting on the betting for the Showtime card quickly, the, the best price I'm seeing on Charlo is minus 1100. Hogan is plus, plus 700. Uh, the code feature of Eubank versus Korobov, that's a much tighter fight. Eubank minus 230, Korobov plus 178. Either of those fights interest you from a betting perspective? What's, What's the uh, what's the Charlo by knockout? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, if you want to filibuster for a minute, I can look it up here. If 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 they've got it, sometimes with the the non, if it's not the main event, uh, they don't uh, until until like a couple days before the fight, they don't break down uh, anything but win or loser. And yeah, I'm looking it up. There is there are, there is no Charlo by knockout posted yet. What about the over and under? Uh, don't see that either. All they're showing is uh, is win uh, I mean, Charlo if, Hogan if I and had, draw. If I had a, a, a eleven grand to make one, 
I would take Charlo. So I know people that bet like that. You know right. what I mean? I do. I know heavy guys that like they'll take they'll take that because they're sure that Charlo can win, and they walk around with two three hundred thousand dollars cash, and they'll bet a hundred grand to win ten grand in one day. I mean, I, Hogan Hogan can't beat Charlo. Right. You know what I mean? He just can't. He, he's not gonna win that fight. He could go the distance, but he's not gonna win the fight. Um, there's a lot of value in Karabarov. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, Eubank, that's the that's the you, one that's jumping out at me possibly out of these four yeah, fighters. There's value in Karabarov. Karabarov probably beat Charlo in that fight. If you look yeah. at that fight round for round, he 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 was really on. Karabarov is an elite level boxer. Problem with him is he's hot and cold, mm-hmm. so yep. you never know what you're gonna get with him. Exactly. But there's value in Karabarov. Uh, I would bet Karabarov, but I'm not picking him to win because he's just you just never know what you're gonna get with him. That's another fight I don't have. I, I'm I'm really surprised that Eubank is taking that fight. Uh, that's a really really dangerous fight for him. And Eubank um, doesn't have great adjustment skills. He's athletic and he's t- and he's tough and he has fast hands. But I don't like how he adjusts in this fight. In his fight, you know when he when he fought Billy uh, Joe Sanders and uh, uh, who's the other guy that just beat him. Um, Gross. George Groves. George Groves. He right. didn't adjust well. He just allows himself to just get out box. He fights harder, but he doesn't make technical adjustments. Yeah. Uh, I could see him getting out box bad in this fight. I really, I really can. This is a dangerous, dangerous fight for Eubank. If yeah. I'm Eubank's people, I would never have taken Karabarov after the way he was out boxed by uh, Sanders and um, and George Groves. Karabarov can really, really box. You watch that fight with him and Charlo, you're like, whoa, shit. Like, I'm watching that fight. Like, I don't know. Like, the, the unofficial scorecards were off. I'm like, he's winning this fight. <laughs> you know, so he he's, he can he can box. I, I would take Karabarov because I just think there's a lot of value in him um, in this fight. But my official pick, because the Charlo-Eubank fight is on the table, right. most likely Eubank will probably get the closer rounds. Yeah. That's yeah. how boxing works. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's something we we alluded to uh, earlier in the show before you were on. That uh, that yeah, yeah. Kar, there's Korobov's had some a uh, little bit of hard luck with decisions, and it it feels like it might be setting up for more of the same here. Yep, 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 yep. yep. A close fight. I can see you been getting in this. Hey man, look. Thanks as always for your insights. It's a it's a real pleasure to have you on. Like we said, listeners really enjoyed. Uh, uh, having you uh, on last time and hearing what you had to say, and I think we can reveal that you'll be back again before the year is out. So, uh, yep, really, I appreciate that. Really enjoy you having on, uh, having you on, and uh, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yep, thank you. All right, Bye-bye. take care, man. All right. Okay, it's time for our predictions for the Showtime card. Uh, and as always with Showtime Championship Boxing events, we will make picks for all three fights. Uh, as a reminder, I'm leading 63 to 59 as we enter the final month of the year-long competition. And it's my turn to pick first. Uh, we'll start with the main event. And no disrespect to Dennis Hogan, uh, but Charlo ain't no Munguia. And yep. I don't have to think too long or hard about who I'm picking to win this fight. Uh, I do have to think long and hard about whether it will be a knockout. Hogan has never been stopped. He's a tough guy, no doubt about it. And Charlo has gone the distance in his last two. And that's exactly why I think he'll be extra motivated to finish this. Uh, The size gap, the talent gap, I think it adds up. And Charlo forces the ref to step in somewhat late, I'll say round nine. 
Okay. Yeah, this is it is as we said earlier, it's going to be a tough one for Hogan. He is a solid contender. Um and as we mentioned earlier, he could arguably already be a, a belt holder at 154 pounds. Um uh, like yourself, this is, you know, Charlo's third fight in middleweight. I'm expecting him to make a statement here. Like in his first bout, he was distracted. We talk about the Corbo fight. As he explained to us, he was at least initially somewhat, he has the excuse of being somewhat distracted by, by Jermel's controversial loss um, in the fight before that, um, you know, and, and his next time out, he maybe had the pressure of performing in front of his hometown crowd. Uh, I, I do think none of that will be the case here. I think he will look good here. Uh, I agree with you that the difficulty is um, uh, determining whether, whether he stops him. Hogan is resilient. He is a tough guy. Um, you know, being that bit shorter sometimes can make it de- a little oddly difficult for a taller guy um but you know he is going to start wearing him down he is going to beat him up i don't know that he'll put him down but i do think it will be one of those deals where eventually by the end charlo's so dialed in he's hitting him at some will hogan's going to be perhaps a little bit too brave for his own good and i i did almost think that hogan would be good strong and tough enough to make it to the end but i don't quite see that happening i think he might stay on his feet I'm going to randomly pick a different round just because. Um, I might give Hogan a wee bit more credit. I'll say ten, but it'll be on. It'll be stopped on his feet. I think. Alrighty. Um, Comain, as we have all discussed, is a really interesting one. Um, and you know what? And, and it's funny. It's like that. That fight against uh, Emmanuel Alim is an interesting one for Matt Korobov. Um, yeah, he did better than expected against Charlo. He should have gotten the win against Alim, but. Aleem ain't all that, and he was really tearing into him down the stretch, um, sort of out of the blue, with Korobov seemingly coasting. Aleem was really sort of fighting really well over the last few rounds. And the thing with Korobov, and actually, you know, Bradman just said this, and honestly, I had made these notes. I'm not just copying what he had to say. The thing from, from Korobov for me is that not only is he not necessarily consistent from fight to fight. He's, he, as Aleem showed, he's not always consistent within a fight. Right. Um, and, and I think that might be a bit of a problem for him in that, you know, Eubank is going to be in shape. He is going to be strong. Uh, he is going to be fairly consistent. Um, I think Karabov's going to give him a hell of a fight and he's going to make it really, really tough and difficult for him. But, you, you, yeah, I, I think that you know, Karabov will have... On rounds and off rounds, Eubank will mostly just have have on rounds. I think it will be adding in the extra factor that we've talked about. I do think it'll be a unanimous decision, but a super close one, like a fifteen thirteen type one. Okay, for, for um, Eubank, I should make that clear. right. Right. So yeah, I I, I kind of hinted at one possible prediction for for this fight uh, earlier, and uh, Breadman uh, pretty much said as well the Eubank by heavily booed decision is a possibility. Right. Um, I also kind of want to pull an Erickson Lubin and predict a draw. Um, <laughs> the the draw is twenty three to one. Uh, if mm. I'm going to bet this fight, that might be how I bet it. Um, I think Korobov is the better technical fighter. He throws the straighter punches. I can absolutely see him getting business done. But uh, this yeah, this just has the makings of a really close fight. Um, I, too, am going to go with Eubank on points, but uh, to mix it up just a little bit, I'll say split decision. Um, and I don't think it'll be a robbery. I think it'll be just right. the kind of fight where ringside scorecards are all over the place. Yeah. Um, and I actually see something similar in the opener. <laughs> uh, Iwasa 
uh, Tapalis. This feels like an even matchup. Uh, Tapalis has this nice long winning streak going. He seems to be hitting his stride at 27, but he hasn't been facing world-class opponents, whereas Iwasa has been facing some top guys like TJ Doeni, but he lost that one. Um, both southpaws, so no edge to anyone there. I don't see a clear edge to either guy anywhere, uh, but I'll say the slightly younger and shorter fighter, Tapalas, outworks Iwasa and wins a split decision in a fun, fast-paced fight. Ah, so we have a slight divergence, but um, I think the, the divergence reflects the fact that we both see this fight in similar ways um and that it is a very difficult call uh as you mentioned on the one hand it is a battle of southpaws the only two occasions to has faced fellow lefties he's knocked them out on the other hand to people acknowledge that that rangy tall style of awasa is kind of a nightmare for them and just the kind of style they have trouble with and and as we've talked about awasa has faced a better caliber of opposition um but at the same time Sort of Tapalis seems to be like the sort of insider's favorite here. Like you said, he's the guy with momentum, um, the guy who's really perhaps looking to to get that next title. I, I can see almost anything happening here. This is going to be, as we sort of alluded to earlier, one of those deals where you've got two very different styles and each trying to impose on the other. And it's probably going to go back and forth. And it's really going to be one of those fights that depends on what you like from a fight uh, and from a fighter. Um, I also am going to go split decision. And even though he's the more experienced guy, I think it's going to be a slight upset that Iwasa is going to emerge with that split decision win. So we do have a little bit of a diversion there. All right. Uh, A few opportunities here for you to uh, make up uh, some of that ground uh, down the home stretch. We'll see. Uh, Those are our predictions. A quick reminder that you can make your predictions for all these fights in the DraftKings Showtime Boxing Pick'em. Just go to DraftKings.com slash Showtime and pick a winner and a method of victory for all three fights. The top five scores of the week split $5,000 in prizes and take home a coveted Showtime swag bag. Kieran, do you know where the word swag comes from? Um, I do not. I I looked it up um, just to make a little podcast conversation and to satisfy my curiosity. uh, It started as an acronym for Stuff We All Get. Is it? Uh, yes. Uh, so that's what I guess when they were like packing together these bags of giveaways at various events, stuff we all get goes in there and makes swag. Uh, in this case, though, uh, we don't all get it. Only a select few get that swag <laughs> exactly. bag. You got to earn it. Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah, stuff that one person gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite work as well from an yeah. acronym perspective. Mm-hmm. We'll stick with no, swag. Like- Exactly. Probably best. And that isn't the only offer that we want to remind you about. Uh, If your interaction with Showtime Boxing is limited to our podcast and playing the aforementioned DraftKings Pick'em game, you may want to take advantage of this special opportunity to get a free trial of Showtime. Uh, New customers should go to Showtime.com slash try 30 that's t-r-y-3-0 and enter the code SHOWBOX, that's S-H-O-B-O-X, to start a 30-day free trial. Uh, but don't dither or delay. This offer expires December 31st. Once again, go to showtime.com slash try30 to take advantage of this special offer. 
some decent action to recap from last weekend. Uh, in Monaco, in an eerily quiet Monte Carlo casino, uh, Cecilia Brekus scored what appeared to me to be a perfectly valid sixth-round knockdown of Victoria Bustos. That was waved off, but it didn't matter. Uh, Cecilia having no problem at all, easing her way to a comprehensive 10-round decision win. Uh, in England, a real shock in the bantamweight division as Philippines' John Real Casemiro knocked down Zalani Tete hard in the third round. And Tete, despite getting up, just didn't recover. Uh, Casemiro knocked him down again and then stopped him to end Tete's seven-year unbeaten run and uh, become the latest to call out Nooya Inoue. And at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas... And Carl Frampton dropped Tyler McCreary a couple of times with body shots and really worked the body hard all evening uh, as he cruised to a unanimous decision win in his debut at 130 pounds. Well, I guess technically 128 pounds, as that was the contract weight. Um, but the great battle of the hotel lobby may still be affecting him, it seems. As Frampton said afterwards, he was worried he broke his left hand, which several months previously was damaged uh, when a decorative hotel lobby pillar fell on it. Again, during the contest. Uh, anything of note to you there, Eric, before we briefly tackle the most significant bout of the night? Uh, not much to say about Brakus other than she's still damn good and that was a mismatch. And damn it, people of Monaco, make some noise. Uh, oh, right. I, I, almost expected, I almost expected Aaron Snowell to pop up and say his trademark line about Tokyo. It was so quiet you could hear a rat pissing on cotton. <laughs> Ah, well, they, they don't allow rats in uh, casinos in Monte, in Monte Carlo. <laughs> Is it a matter of allowing? I feel like or the rats, rats, the, the rats, the rats get in when they want to get in. Yes, but they have to wear tuxedos. That's the <laughs> there you go. I, whenever I think of Monaco now, I will think of a rat in a tux. Uh, as for Casemiro Tete, that was a weird punch that started it. He, he hit Tete from behind, but... You know, protect yourself at all times. Uh, Tete never recovered. Fun little upset there, which I thought about betting a couple days ago, and I'm kicking myself now. Um, as for Frampton McCreary, like the Brekus Bustos fight, just totally different levels here, bit of a mismatch, but it was still fun to watch Frampton work, uh, even without any real resistance. His body shots were outstanding. He's just a total pro, and McCreary is a relative novice, but McCreary had a nice 10th round where he got a few things done, so maybe there's something to grow on there. There you go. All right. Uh, certainly a bit to talk about in the main event in Las Vegas uh, after Frampton McCreary. Uh, Oscar Valdez woke up on Friday morning fully expecting to face off on Saturday against Andres Gutierrez. But at the weigh-in for the, can't emphasize this enough, 130-pound contest, <laughs> Gutierrez tipped the scale at 141 pounds. 11 pounds over. The look on Bob Arum's face when his weight was called out, Gutierrez's weight was called out, was just was just priceless. Uh, up stepped Adam Lopez, who was slated to be on the undercard. Uh, and he gave Valdez a rough time, uh, knocking him down in the second um, and buzzing him, I think, a bit in, with that knockdown. Uh, leading on the scorecards, boxing very well uh, until Valdez broke through, dropping Lopez a nice left hook in the seventh and then opening up with a barrage later in that round that prompted referee Russell Mora to step in and call a hole. Uh, so a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, I should note in the interest of full disclosure that Lopez is managed by friends of mine, Ken Shear, Lyle Green, who guested on our previous podcast once, and my good friend Rachel Charles. So should put that out there. Um, but I will ask you first what you thought about the stoppage, as we often ask, how sadistic is Eric feeling today? I'm <laughs> curious how, what your reaction to that was. And also what you thought about the overall performances of Valdez and Lopez. And as an easy question, uh, will we ever see Andres Gutierrez on a top-ranked card ever again? Yeah, I'll take that easy question first. Uh, yeah, it probably burned his bridges. Uh, but 
you know, it turned out better for the fans. Uh, I, I don't yes. know that Valdez Gutierrez would have been this fun or this competitive. But the, the weird thing is that Gutierrez was supposedly 133 pounds at the seven-day weigh-in, which I'm going to call probable bullshit. Uh, to, be, to be 133 <laughs> seven days before and then 141 one day before – that sounds like some alphabet nonsense where somebody lied about the seven-day wait. Now, if someone credible who doesn't work for an alphabet body was a witness and wants to tell me I'm wrong, please do. Uh, but my BS detector is going off. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, like I said, we as fans benefited from Gutierrez's failure to make weight. Lopez, uh, who I didn't realize was Hector Lopez's son before this, yeah. uh, Lopez fought his ass off. He fought smart. He showed talent. This is a young fighter to watch. Uh, one good thing for Valdez about having been dropped before and having been in his fair share of life and death fights is that he knows how to handle moments like yeah. what happened in round two. He didn't panic even when just a couple of seconds earlier, his arm had been pinned behind him as he hit the deck, yeah. which is usually a bad sign. And uh, he clearly looked effed up <laughs> on the canvas and then yeah, quickly cleared his head by the time he got up and was nodding to his corner and saying, I'm okay. It seemed he had, pretty well recovered but you know it's a bad sign that he gets taken halfway to hell by so many not quite elite opponents but it at least has him prepared for these situations mm. uh, and he rallied back and he dropped lopez and he hurt him and the stoppage eh, it was premature not the worst i've seen but a little premature a little panicky by russell mora um and by the way i also hate the mandate from mora to show me something when uh, the guy is showing you something, good defense, and you're saying, show me something, and you're forcing him to throw punches and open himself up when he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do to recover, which is move and use good defense. He, he clearly uh, had recovered from the knockdown and had himself together, and Mora's yelling, show me something, and so he has to throw a few punches that he didn't really want to throw at that moment. Um, I think Lopez deserved a little more rope he wasn't that hurt but he was taking some punches i'll give the stoppage a c minus but not an f <laughs> um and and one more quick thing about this fight and this card uh, you and i both assumed last week this was designed to build toward valdez frampton uh instead it was designed to build toward frampton herring and valdez bruchelt I'm sorry, but Valdez Frampton is the can't-miss matchup there. That is a fight-of-the-year-type style match. Yeah. It's also better for, for Valdez than fighting Bruchelt, and maybe better for Frampton than fighting Herring. Rethink this, Top Rank. You have a possible Vasquez-Marquez-type matchup sitting here. You can always do Bruchelt-Valdez later if Valdez beats Frampton. Uh, so that, that's my two cents as an unpaid matchmaker. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I actually made a note as well about Russell Mora saying that because it seemed peculiar mm -hmm. uh it, it wasn't like it, like you say that when a guy is up against the ropes yeah and uh, it was just peculiar and i kind of wonder if like he he thought he'd seen something more uh, and that prompted him to say that and that that was in his head and that's why he stepped in like he was almost he'd convinced himself that maybe lopez was in a bit of trouble i don't know um look as i mentioned my objectivity could be questioned i did think it was a smidgen early of a stoppage um but that said it did also feel as if valdez was even without the knockdown reeling lopez in at that point um and it did kind of feel as if valdez was getting ready to sort of sort of assert himself i thought over the second half of the fight yeah. even without that knockout um and, and i think he would have gotten him but um you know it's funny i mentioned when we sort of you know did our quasi brief preview 
last week that Valdez is a guy who sort of began as an outstanding technician, has morphed into a Gatti-esque warrior and is now <laughs> yep. looking to sort of find this happy medium. And Mark Kriegel noted that post-fight that he thought that Valdez right now is actually caught in between the two and doesn't know what he should be. And I mean, a smidgen unfair, but it was interesting for much of the, for quite a bit of the contest. Valdez didn't look like the technically excellent boxer that, that he has shown that he can be. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, there were extenuating circumstances like replacements can always be tricky. And um, Valdez knows Lopez, knew his dad. Um, and Lopez had nothing to lose, right? So, um, but yeah, no, it's definitely a more entertaining fight than I think probably anybody expected. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, one more thing before we move on to the news. Let's double back to one previewy item. Uh, we addressed the main fights this coming weekend at the top of the podcast, but there's one other card of note from Puebla, Mexico on ESPN+. Plus. Emmanuel Navarrete, who is on quite the roll, defends his 122-pound belt against Francisco Horta. And in the co-main, Jerwin Ancajas of the Philippines defends a 115-pound strap against Miguel Gonzalez. Uh, it makes a busy weekend of boxing that much busier, and I have my daughter's bat mitzvah on Saturday, so I'm watching nothing live. Uh, turning <laughs> off all Twitter notifications definitely won't be dialed into this ESPN Plus card until I come up for air on Sunday. But what are your thoughts? Anything for us to look forward to on this card? Yeah, no, I, I love Navarrete. Um, he's rapidly becoming one of my favorite fighters. If fighter of the year considerations were from December 8th to December 8th. <laughs> <laughs> Navarrete would would be well in the running there. Um, you know, this is his fifth fight in 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 twelve months, which is kind of amazing. Um, and uh, you know, it was December eighth last year that he defeated Isaac Dogbay to sort of start this this run. Mm. Um, he'll start as a big favorite against uh, Horta, and and I, he'll probably get a uh, hero's welcome from the crowd. This is his first fight back home in Mexico uh, since he's been on that that run. Um, and Anka has. Man, he's he's just a really good fighter as well. He's held that 115-pound belt since 2016 when he upended then unbeaten McJoe Arroyo. Um, he's part of a really good, strong wave of Filipino fighters in recent years. Um, interestingly, while there have been plenty of good Filipino fighters uh, and champions of late, there have been rather few from Peru. But Gonzalez is indeed from Peru, and he's looking to become just the second man from his country to hold a title belt. The first, of course, as we all know, was Alberto Russell, who held an interim 108-pound <laughs> title. I am so glad you didn't turn that into a trivia question for me. <laughs> I was tempted. I was, but I thought, yeah. Was I would have been exposed as the uh, <laughs> questionable as the historian. The uh, anti-Peruvian uh, that you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. We do close out with some news, beginning with confirmation of a bout of considerable interest. Uh, following Deontay Wilder's seventh-round KO win over Luis Ortiz, his rematch with Tyson Fury has now been confirmed for February 22nd. No sight yet, but the MGM Grand appears to be the front runner. We've already talked about this a bit, and we'll talk about it a lot more. Don't know if you've got anything else to add. Uh, yeah, just a quick uh, comment that, you know, good. Th this rematch needs to happen. Uh, it's a fascinating fight, as we discussed last week. And as you just said, we will continue to discuss for the next, co next couple of months. But the timing of the announcement is a little curious. I, I don't see why you wouldn't wait to see what happens in Ruiz Joshua 2 just in case a bigger opportunity mm. emerges, uh, or at the very least, announce this on the day of Ruiz Joshua 2 right. for maximum... That's what Floyd Mayweather would Exactly. Do. They have learned nothing from Floyd about how to steal attention and get maximum exposure. Uh, but anyway, Fury Wilder 2... Bring it on. That's a fight heavyweight boxing needs, uh, even if we'd had to wait an extra year for it. Uh, good news for fight fans. Uh, this past week brought bad news, though, for Andrew Cancio. We noted last week that he lost his belt to Rene Alvarado. 
Now he has been summarily dropped by Golden Boy Promotions after he was quoted in an article saying that Golden Boy wasn't giving him enough opportunities. It's quite the bummer of an ending for Cancio to a year that had begun so well with his knockout win over Alberto Machado. Certainly proves there's one rule for the haves and one for the have-nots. Yeah. Um, Ryan Garcia bitches and moans about Golden Boy all day, every day for months. But because he's Canelo Alvarez's buddy and because he's the young up-and-comer, he gets a nice fat new contract for it. And primo billing on his mentor's uh, big card. Um, Canelo couldn't make his contempt for Oscar de la Hoya any more obvious, but he's Canelo. Um, poor Andrew Cancio tells a local newspaper that he's a bit fed up with only fighting at Fantasy Springs, promptly gets walloped by Alvarado, and it's a case of, uh, you know, so long, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah. Um, uh, hashtag boxing. Um, <laughs> and what a strange roller coaster year for somebody who seems like a very likable guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting kind of year for him. Um, but... We have some promising and heartwarming news with which to end. Um, according to a report by ESPN's Outside the Lines, Magomed Abdusalamov, who was severely injured following a loss to Mike Perez in November 2013, is making considerable progress in his recovery. Uh, writing on ESPN.com, William Weinbaum noted, quote, Abdusalamov chimes in on family discussions, articulates concerns about the girls leaving their house without sufficiently warm clothing, and he playfully bellows his wife's nickname, Baka, hanging several seconds on the second syllable. To show off his affection, he kissed his wife's hand and put his left arm around her waist. Um, a long way to go for Abdusalamov, but yeah, it seems like that's a lot farther already than anyone expected in the aftermath of what happened to him against Perez. Um, this year has been grim. Far too many boxers have lost their lives. Uh, this can only be good news. Absolutely. This is the best news in boxing all year. Uh, better than a big fight getting signed. Better than Showtime hiring the best podcasters in the business. Uh, maybe the best news in the sport since Madonna beat Broner. Uh, totally unexpected good news. I, yeah. I think we all presumed Magomed wasn't going to make any kind of real recovery and be able to enjoy his family and be a father to his kids. So, wow, what, what a great update. Uh, you know, I started the podcast on Grumpy Old Man Corner. I'm ending it with a smile on my face. There you go. Yeah, and quite right, too. And let's hope that that recovery continues. Um, okay, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. As a reminder, if you don't have Showtime, go to showtime.com slash try 30 and enter the code SHOWBOX to start your 30-day free trial. If you do... You'll be able to watch this Saturday's Showtime Championship Boxing triple header from Brooklyn starting at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We will be back next week a little bit later than usual. A uh, day later, you think? Two days later? What's, uh, what, yeah, what are we thinking? Say, yeah, I think a day. I think we'll go up Tuesday. That'd be my go guess. Up Tuesday. All right. But, that, but the delay will just make it that much more enjoyable <laughs> as we discuss that Showtime we're letting card. it. We're letting it marinate. Exactly. What could possibly go wrong? Anytime <laughs> anything marinates in boxing, it always works out, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, the delay will make it that much more enjoyable. We will discuss that Showtime card. We will discuss any Ruiz Joshua fallout. And we will look ahead to the return of Terence Crawford. Until then, thanks for listening.